listening to Infertility and Beyond. We are your hosts, Amy and Sasha. For us, it has not been easy trying to conceive. Come join us on this journey as we talk all things infertility, share our stories and the stories of others, bring you information surrounding fertility treatments, grief, and everything in between. We are here to connect and empower women as they navigate all things infertility and beyond. Let's get into today's episode. Hi listeners, just wanted to let you know that we've had a little bit of technical issues with our mic, so you may hear some muffling throughout. We are well aware and we are working on getting it fixed for the future. Please enjoy today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back to episode two of the Infertility and Beyond podcast. Yeah, I hope you've enjoyed our first episode. We are so excited to be back with you guys, giving you some um, great info. And uh, before we get into today's episode, I'm just going to introduce Ashy Perrin, our little producer. She's going to give us some a f- really interesting fertility fact for you. Okay, today's fact is going to be around egg production. So all the eggs a woman will ever produce, i.e. 4 to 5 million, are in her ovaries from week 14 of the fetal stage and in immature form. By birth, the number has decreased to approximately 1 million. And 15 years later, about 200,000 remain. The eggs are stored in the ovaries and do not become viable for fertilization until puberty. And then usually only one at a time from then on. But further to that, during the approximately 30 fertile years of a woman's life, ovulation takes place some 400 times. Oh, good lordy. Imagine tracking all those cycles. They would be some really long lines. All right. Well, thanks for that. I love those facts. I can't wait to... We're going to get some... I mean, that's a really informative and educational one, but I can't wait to get some real quirky... uh, I know there's definitely some animal fun facts that we can whip out. Yeah. And he loves the animal fun facts. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into today's episode. So today, um, Amy's going to share her story with us. Um and dive deep into the nitty-gritty so yeah do you want to take it away amy yeah sure so i guess i wanted to kind of paint a picture for you guys like where i'm at in my life and i guess the story between myself and my husband aaron so we met eight years ago or probably nearly nine years ago now um and we met at a through a mutual friend and pretty much since then have been inseparable um but i think it was like a couple of months in and he was already talking about kids right um and so anyway we did the things that we wanted to do first like travel um aaron studied um we bought a house he helped me build my business and we kind of just really were enjoying our lives before we thought you know let's get into this kind of kid thing because to be completely honest with you i was under this really false a false impression, a false illusion that it was just going to happen straight away, right? So I had been on the pill from about 15 years old till about 24, 25, so nearly 10 years. Um, and then I'd come off it, uh, I think, for, I've been off it for about five years. So I come for a couple of, maybe a year or two before our wedding. So just with what I kind of knew and I, what I kind of started reading, I thought, oh, well, we're, you know, together, we're happy, we're getting married. I'll get off the pill, give my body that chance to kind of, you know, calm down, you know, get all my hormones right, and then we'll, you know, start trying. So 
just to paint your picture about my cycles before even thinking about having kids, like they were what I would call average. Like I would have a 28 to a 32 day kind of cycle. So I felt, you know, especially for someone who wasn't tracking at that time, but I thought, oh yeah, about every month I'd get a period, had no pain. Um, my mum conceived myself and my brother first time, both times. Um, so for me, I know I had heard people's infertility struggles. I had had a lot of uh, like clients, not a lot of friends, but a lot of you know people I kind of knew um, that had had infertility struggles. And but I kind of just thought, oh, that wouldn't happen to me. Um, and I guess Aaron thought the same. So we basically thought, let's wait till we're really, really ready to have a baby before we do it because it's just going to happen. Mm. That one month, we're just gonna, you know have sex and it's just going to happen right so of course we did what we naturally thought was best to do planning you know a pregnancy and we went straight to our gp we got all our blood tested test done um and our naturopath and we got put on all the appropriate prenatal uh, medication yeah we got all our ducks in a row basically because we wanted to plan you know this um to happen so yeah, then we just started having fun. We do what every couple does when they start to want to have a baby. They just obviously up the sex life. I'm pretty sure 365 was the um, common denominator in our household at that time. And we just honestly had some fun. Um, and we were trying, but we kind of weren't trying, right? Like we kind of just thought, you know, yeah, we'll have sex a bit more and it'll just happen. I probably was aware of ovulation, but I wasn't tracking yet. Um, after about three to six months of trying, um, my Sasha started trying as well and then we kind of got talking and we we're kind of like what are these ovulation sticks that you pee on and <laughs> and like do you take your basal body temperature and we started talking about all those first step kind of I don't know um methods to use for tracking your ovulation yeah. and pinpointing when you're ovulating so of course we got onto the ovulation sticks we started tracking um and started like you know trying to time the intercourse and stuff like that um to which case it obviously wasn't happening either um i wasn't too worried at this point but i thought i'll go back to the doctor just to see you know if there's anything else i could or should be doing and probably about this point we're getting to six to nine months um and the doctor pretty much just did some more tests for me she was quite good she didn't do a lot of tests though she did the very basic tests and a lot of the ones i actually have researched and asked for she kind of said oh sorry like they're not included in and I didn't realize at this point that I could probably pay for tests. Um, I kind of just went with her guidance. And so I got another couple of tests, a couple of pelvic ultrasounds, to which all of them came back and they were fine. And can I just mention as well, when we first got tested in the very beginning, Aaron did get his sperm analysis and his sperm analysis was all perfect. So mm, and um, your, your AMH levels were, were good. Yeah, yeah, got AMH levels done. They were good. Um, like I said, so everything at this point was looking really good. And like on paper looked perfect. On paper, really. yeah. yeah. So then they kept telling me, oh, well, everything's all good. Nothing's wrong with you. Our fertility specialist won't actually see you because you've only been trying for nine months. You're going to have to come back in three months. So I did start getting worried at this point just because I was thinking, wow, like I do have a lot of friends and clients that have been getting pregnant, you know, a lot sooner. So I was like, okay, wow, this is obviously not normal, but it could take that year. So that's okay. Um, I get, I kept getting like a bit of a intermittent bleed through my cycle though at this point, And I was kind of you know, day 20, I started kind of having some spotting until my period would come into day 20, 28, 30, you know. So, which was um, new, like you hadn't been having that until no, you really started trying, yeah. which remember you were really worried that it was something to do with like 
how much sex you guys were having or that you had changed something. Yeah. Mm. The first few months I thought it was implantation bleeding. So I was like, oh, it's happening. I'm getting pregnant. It's implantation bleeding. And then I would get my period and I'm like, oh, okay, sure. It's not, it's not here. And that happened quite a few times until I go, I decided, okay, this is not right. You know, and obviously I was back to the doctors and, you know, I think that's the thing too, like the hope you get in the weeks leading up to your ovulating so, you know, where you're going to ovulate, you know, you have a bit of fun around ovulation, then you kind of keep your positive mindset on, then mm. I got this weird bleed, and then I got disappointed again, and then I was even more disappointed when my period came, and then you kind of just like got to start again, it's like that, you know, cycle, as you know. Um, so anyway, um, I went back to the doctor after probably, it had only been one or two months after that she told me to kind of go away, and no one would kind of speak to me, um, and I kind of just said, look, I need more answers. Um, so she then kind of said, well, you actually can book in with a private specialist. You, you know, you, you won't be able to go public, but private is something you could probably do. And I was a bit, so I kind of thought, what do you mean? Two months ago, I could have seen private. Like she wasn't very, and I guess, you know, it was my first time going through this and no one had told me that I could have, you know, asked for a private specialist. So I just went with her guidance. So, you know, I said, yeah, no, of course, I'm more than happy to pay for a private specialist. You know, at this point, I'd been doing, you know, taking prenatal for every year, I'd been taking supplements, vitamins, going to many other appointments to try to help acupuncture, you know, try to help my hormones and my fertility. So paying for a specialist was not anything that I was concerned about at this point. So she sent me um, to a private gynecologist. Um, then I made an appointment. And as you know, with like making appointments, it, it takes like you call up, but you don't get in for a month's mm. time. And then COVID happened and we had another lockdown and then I got cancelled for another week's time and it just kept getting pushing out. Sorry, kept getting pushed out. And I know this seems really silly, but like, again, like when time when you really want something, the more time that comes between It's like another month that you've just missed out on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you're quickly up to that year mark without even realising. Like, I don't even know how I'm still a year and a half, just over a year and a half, and I'm like, oh my God, how am I still not pregnant? Like, I just, it blows my mind. You can see how the years just rack up for people who are continuously getting tests and stuff. Well, I used to, like, listen to people's podcast stories and be like, oh my God, two years? They were trying to fall pregnant for two years. How did they, how did it take that long before they, like, got into IVF? or did other methods and it's so easy for that to happen because we are like learning from experience like speaking from experience so exactly and um so when i went to this gynecologist she did some um more ultrasounds she i went to the um the queensland ultrasound for women and i did a pelvic pelvic ultrasound so a procedure where the doctor flushes dye through the through the catheter to identify a fallopian tube blockage and all my results came back clear um i had no pain with that as well so she said you know if i was to maybe have endometriosis she said it could be a very painful procedure but with no pain and no apparent blockages i was then given the green light again to like go and you know it's nothing you keep trying to keep have trying, sex keep trying yeah. just keep doing it um, but she did also refer me to a fertility specialist because she could probably see that she couldn't really help me any further. And she could see that I, you know, I was getting up to that past a year now and I was a bit desperate and she could see, you know, Aaron and I just really wanted a family, you know, Aaron, like he's going to be the best dad. And I think for me, like I've always wanted to be a mum too, but it's just, I just can't wait to, you know, see him as a father. Like he's always, you know, wanted children. So we were just, yeah, we couldn't wait, um, anymore. And then. Uh, yeah, well, as I said, a couple more months went by and we ended up 
at a fertility specialist and he was really great. He really got down on our level and luckily we had had so many tests done prior to seeing him that we pretty much just brought all our paperwork, our water paperwork and he just looked through it all and he was, it was pretty great because initially in our first consultation he could give me so many answers as to what we don't have and what isn't going wrong and where we would start in our treatment plan which was super awesome because um, at that point this is the first time we felt that we had been heard and that we had, were going to move forward and that we weren't just going to be stuck in you know just keep on trying and having these failed mm. cycles so um, he explained that the first would be an induction drug called electrozole um, that helps you to ovulate after that he said we could move on to an IUI he didn't really think that that would help us because Aaron's swimmers were quite they'll like really quite good so he thought that you know, for me, he said, let's go just on the electrozole to start with, um, and then we can see where we go from there. Um, so that's obviously um, what we did. We did the electrozole. So what you do with the electrozole, you take, well, in my case, what he prescribed me to do was you just take um, one pill once a day for five days, starting from day three of your cycle. You get blood tests from around day 10 um, every single day basically to just make sure that you're up, you are ovulating how he wants you to, and then obviously um, you are instructed to have sex. So every day I would call and he'd say, no, not ovulating yet. Yep, have sex now, <laughs> do this. So I think the first round I was so set on it working because I thought, oh my God, well, this is it. I've got no problems, nothing's wrong with me. This is gonna be it because we've got the little bit of help we needed. Maybe I wasn't ovulating enough or maybe my follicle wasn't quite big enough and this is gonna be the answer to our prayers and then um the first month of letrozole was a disaster because i started bleeding at like day 15 so like i just ovulated basically and like a couple of days later um i was bleeding already and quite a lot more than before and i thought oh my gosh this like it's this isn't working this is ruining me yeah you like felt like you were going crazy when yeah. you were getting those breakthrough bleeds because yeah. no one could tell you what it was yeah. or what like i remember at one point you said am i allergic to aaron's sperm <laughs> Because, like, am I having a reaction? Like, we've never had so much sex and it seems like this issue has just popped up when we've been trying to have a baby. Like, which is, like, like, a valid thing to think because, like, if it's never happened before, then, like, where else would it be coming from? Literally. And can I just say as well, each month we have tried different techniques. Like, one month we had sex every single day. Another month we had sex every other day because different doctors had said different things and I have researched different things. So... You know, again, like staying upside down after sex, like, you know, just doing all the craziest <laughs> weird wives tales that you could imagine. We were, we were doing it. Aaron was in the corner cheering me on. Like, it wasn't like, babe, what are you doing? He's like, yeah, babe, do you need me like, put you up higher? Like, yeah. You know, he's, he's all in. He's like a cheerleader. Let's get a sex swing. I think it'll help. <laughs> Sorry, mum and dad. <laughs> joking. We're totally joking, guys. Jesus. Um... But anyway, um, so that was, yeah, so Letrozole cycle one was a fail. I called the doctor and I was crying. I was like, it didn't work. He's like, that's okay. Like, like round two. And I was like, we needed something more. And he was like, no, 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 give it another go. So we did. Um, and the only thing we did differently for the second round was we added progesterone in. So that obviously helps thicken the lining and to prepare your body for the fertilized egg. So basically I did the Letrozole the same. We were instructed to have sex and then I was to use these um progesterone pessaries which i did and so i don't know if you guys have ever been on progesterone but it does kind of give you the pregnancy like symptoms so you know tender breasts um i was eating a lot more 
I don't know, I guess I was just feeling extra emotional. Yeah, I was guess I just thought maybe this is the month I'm pregnant. You know? Well, you're doing all this extra stuff. So I mm. feel like that creates so much hope in your mind mm. that you're like, this is it. This is it. I feel different. Things yeah. feel different. You didn't get the bleeding. Didn't get the bleeding. Yeah. yeah. So that was it. I think the, the no bleeding after having at least six months of bleeding, plus all these weird symptoms, I was like, that's it. I'm pregnant. So we literally were like, yeah, convinced we're pregnant. Aaron was like on me every minute to do a pregnancy <laughs> test. And I was like, man, I'm trying to surprise you, but whatever. Um, so I woke up in 3am just naturally because I was like, just needed to go to the bathroom. So I went to the toilet, peed on the stick, and then I put it in the drawer because I was like, oh, I'll go back to bed and then I'll, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and we can Fully look at expecting it. it to be probably positive. Oh, yeah, I yeah. was. But I was just like, I don't want to do it now because like Aaron was still asleep. But as soon as I got back into bed, he like rolled off and said, did you pee, in a, did you pee on the stick? <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I'll do hard it now. So I was like, okay, I'll go get it. I haven't looked at it yet. He's like, oh, okay, yep, 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 yep. yep. And okay trigger warning for this i bought a pregnancy test because i was so convinced that i was pregnant that said pregnant or not pregnant like i bought a digital one yeah not the one with the lines which you would be like oh is it is it is it faint oh it's a faint line and you just kind of trick yourself into thinking you're pregnant yeah you you convince yourself there's an extra line or that it's just too early to tell yeah you get a nico pen and just put it so i'm in denial you know, I was so convinced it was going to come up pregnant. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. So then, you know, we had, we held it down and we turned like three, two, one, and we turned it over. And of course it's, well, not of course, but of course it did. It said not pregnant. And like, we were just in shock. We looked at each other and we were just like, what? And then I was like, do you reckon you left it for too long? <laughs> I was like, babe, it was like maybe two minutes. He's like, oh and like that hit us fucking like a ton of bricks at that point and i remember like we we were supposed to go to a friend's birthday we cancelled on that weekend and yeah we definitely um that was definitely a turning point for us i'd been looking into doing ivf prior but i guess again it was really hard decision for us because we hadn't been told you have to do ivf so we kind of was it was a bit more our decision and i think i've been looking into it putting it in the back of my mind thinking okay we've got to look into this soon because i can't i don't know how much longer i can take this you know dis disappointment this, you know it had been probably like a year and two three months by this point um so we called up um an ivf clinic aaron agreed and we called up an ivf clinic just to like yeah talk through our options um I'd also be doing acupuncture as well. Um, acupuncture is really good uh, when you're doing IVF, but all, also all fertility. And we will have mm. an acupuncturist coming on here in a couple of episodes to share all things Chinese medicine. Um, I chose to do IVF though over IUI. I know that I said when I spoke to my fertility specialist, it was kind of the next option, like stepping up. But for us, because my infertility is unexplained, I just felt like mentally i'd reached the point of like i can't you know do another round after round after round mm. and be disappointed maybe if i had started the intervention sooner secondly because you were like at like 15 months then weren't yeah you? Quite a 15 while. months trying yeah which is like a significant time when that is all that you've been dreaming of and hoping for mm. and like aiming to achieve every mm. month like every month it's unsuccessful it's like it's just a weight on your shoulders so mm. like it gets to the point where while some people can like take years to get to the point of wanting to seek you know medical intervention through IVF or IUI it's sometimes it's too hard for people yeah. mentally I was really down I would say I would have been depressed at that point um, before going to see the IVF you know specialist and I think 
it was the right thing for us to do at that time. And like you said, I was grieving. I, I will, you know, I, yes, I hadn't been pregnant before. I hadn't had a miscarriage, but mm. I was still suffering from a loss because in my eyes and in my head, I would have already had a three month old yeah. then. And babe, don't forget that like <clears throat> so many people around us were falling pregnant. Yeah, like, all of our friends. We have clients, so many friends. Like, like It was almost just like, yeah, it was happening. It was almost like our, cave, our caves. Our, our walls were caving in on us so quickly mm. and I felt like I'd been trying for so long with unsuccess and then all these people around me were having such success and as much and like we were so happy for those people like mm. we could not be more happy but it just really emphasized for us how much you know it wasn't happening and how much our bodies were failing us and it was yeah pretty pretty hard time at that point so I think um but choosing to do IVF to be completely honest with you was like the turning point for my mental health I think mm. because taking that unknown factor out of it and putting it in somebody else's hands was probably the biggest thing because I am a bit of a control freak. I like to plan things. I want to know what's wrong so that I can find a solution. But to be constantly told, you know, um, nothing's wrong with you, just keep trying. Mm. I was like, maybe I'm crazy. Like, what are we doing wrong? Is this not meant to be? And you start going rabbit holing, you know. So Aaron was an incredible support through that time always keeping positive always staying positive mm. and you know yeah helping me through those yeah he's times. been your rock hasn't he yeah definitely even though he probably is suffering in silence just yeah. as much if it, he wanted like i feel like obviously you really want a baby now but you've never really been like a super maternal person like mm. as he was like the one that was like let's have a hundred kids <laughs> like let's and like from the second that you guys are like pretty much together he was like yeah when are we have babies like let's do it like let's get into it and like so i do think like this has probably been so difficult on him mm-hmm. but he's just such a top human that he you don't really see that side of it from him much because yeah. he would never let you know that he's struggling because he just wants to take care of you which yeah. is just such a beautiful thing it was so sad the other day that i was like driving along in the car and he like sighed he was like and I said babe what's wrong he's like he's like I just want to have a baby and like that was like so hard to like yeah because again I know it's not my fault or his fault or it's just you're just frustrated yeah and like yeah I think yeah I guess until it happens um it won't I guess it's just with yeah it's not yeah it is what it is um Basically, though, we ended up doing, like I said, the IVF. So we waited for a cycle till we could start our medication. And so we will go into the IVF process in greater detail in a different episode just because it's just, mm. it is pretty intricate. There's a lot to talk about. But can I just say my experience so far, still not pregnant. And look, if this goes on for another five years, I might not have exactly the same opinion. And I'm not trying to take away opinions from anybody else. But my personal opinion from IVF was actually quite good like i was really scared about starting firstly the stigma around it before i knew anything Mm. about it you know people made you feel like it was this really big scary thing especially the needles um they also made you feel like oh my god it's so expensive and oh like it was such a foreign thing in the beginning and i remember thinking like oh yeah like i would never you know a year and a half ago when we started trying i don't think i'd do ibf it's it's really you know it's for people who you know can't have a child but when you become in that situation or you put yourself in that category of course you're going to do anything you know Mm. 
a couple of needles in your stomach a couple of times a day is like really not that yeah not that bad is it really well, when you start the process you're sort of like oh like sure that's i'm not gonna have to do that like yeah. surely it's you know we're just you know it's just gonna take a few months of having sex and yeah. taking a few supplements and we'll get it done yeah. and then i think you have to come to terms with the whole process yeah. when you get to that point and at that point you're just like oh gosh I'll do anything. I think I said to you, quote unquote, I think I'd probably stick a needle in my eye at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so sticking it in my stomach was not that bad. So yeah, the, the injections were obviously, once you get past it, they're okay. Um, the hormones were horrible. Like obviously you're going to feel emotional. You're going to feel bloated. Like your tongue... But is it really that much worse than how you already feel? No, this is like, what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, the, the biggest, the hardest thing about IVF was deciding to do it because I yeah. think with all the, the things that your mind was telling you, your monkey mind being like, you know, yeah so i think um yeah doing it was really not that hard and then you know you do your injections for two weeks or whatever your um specialist advises you to do um and then you go in for your scan so i was hoping to do a fresh transfer which is when basically you um do a transfer of a blastocyst embryo five days after your um Egg retrieval. retrieval, Sorry, yeah. So I went in for my scan to make sure everything was tracking really well. Um, I was really bloated and really uncomfortable at this point, but I thought, this is good, you know. I've got lots of eggies in there. And we went in together, and she was scanning it on the screen, and she said, oh, yep, this is great. You've got plenty plenty of follicles. And, oh, yeah, you've got lots of follicles. Oh, yeah. And she kept saying it. And then I was like, oh, wait, this might not be good. Because at first when she said it, I was like, great. And then after a while, I was like, okay, she's saying it a lot. Anyway, then she like leaves the room and I'm like looking at her and I'm like, what's going on, babe? And she's like, I don't know. And then she comes back in and she's like, so um, great news. You've got quite a lot of dominant follicles, but unfortunately you also have quite a lot of follicles that aren't going to quite be mature to harvest. However, they all carry a lot of estrogen still. So if we do the trigger shot today, um, which is the one that in, um, has the HCG in it, um, which means you can you know do your transfer five days later. If we do this trigger shot today, um, you'll most likely go into hyperstimulation. So you know we can't let you do that. Um, and instead, I was like, okay, what's what's my next option? And so she said, well, instead we can give you another trigger shot that doesn't contain the HCG. We can still harvest your eggs. You might still go into hyperstimulation, but it's a lot safer chance but we'll have to do your transfer after another cycle and then i'm like oh my gosh how long is that all i started doing was like calculating weeks and new dates and i just started spiraling downhill because all i was thinking is oh my god what do you mean like another setback Mm. like what i was in five days time like i was supposed to get a transfer so that was really hard and i think the biggest advice i could probably give to anybody who is trying to conceive is get your head out of the dates Mm. stop fixating because i did it i've done it yeah. we've done it every month oh well if i fall pregnant this month oh yeah. i'll be due by Aaron's birthday. by that event i'll be three months yeah. like pregnant or probably can't whatever. go to that wedding because i'll have a fresh baby yeah Wait, we're still not <laughs> pregnant and all the things we thought we couldn't do yeah <laughs> we actually take a chill pill because you are not there yet sis <laughs> <laughs> literally oh my gosh seriously so anyway that was pretty hard but i think yeah really again grew as a person our relationship strengthened again through another hurdle um and we really just spent that next eight weeks between transfers um 
Because what was the process after that? So oh, sorry, you would yes. still get your period. <clears throat> sorry, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I got sorry. I went in. Um, then a couple of days later, had the egg retrieval, which I can say I did not get put under anaesthetics. So I was just given a Valium and the green whistle, which is I think morphine for the pain. And I just went into the, a day procedure. I was in there for half an hour. They retrieved the eggs. He showed me it on the screen. I was high as a kite, so I was like, "This is awesome." <laughs> I get to see the, my follicles being drained. Like it was mind blown. Literally, Aaron was in the other room getting a sample to the cup. Um, having, a, I, having a good old time. A good old time. <laughs> I should get him on here on a, one of the episodes to explain that. He said that he does it really funny. Um, and then, yeah, the baby was made. No, um, sorry, they put the. Um, then I went, got wheeled into the. Oh, wait, wait, wait. How, how many babies did you get? Well, I got wheeled into the recovery room where Aaron was waiting for me with a tea and, and a juice and a Oh, pee. bless him. Of course he was. And then I was just eating that, munching that down. They're like, oh, well, you can. Well, I told me how many embryos, like, I mean, how many, sorry, eight follicles I got. Um, so I got eight follicles, um, so I was really excited about that. And they, you know, warned me, you know, um, we're going to put them in, obviously, in a petri dish tonight, and we'll see how many fertilize. Because that's right, you guys were not doing the ICSI method; you were no. just doing the standard IVF. Yeah, the yeah. standard IVF where yeah. they put the uh, egg and the sperm in a petri dish, literally, yeah. and. Um, Happens a good old fashioned way. Let, let's have a meetup. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> Technically, there was still a winner there. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, she did warn me, you know, the, the risks of overnight. Sometimes some don't fertilize because of the egg quality, sperm quality, whatever. She did also warn me that, you know, sometimes after a day five, when they're supposed to get to blastocyst to be frozen, she did warn me that, you know, some women unfortunately don't get any to make it. And of course, that worried me, mm. but I was still pretty confident at this point that. No, that's not going to happen. And I was, you know. You'll at least have something. Something. Yeah. It was pretty good. And I was thinking, oh, you know. Yeah. Um, but you obviously just have to say that to everybody. And, um, but yeah, we, um, yeah, eight fertilized overnight. And then we have all eight in the freezer. Good to go. You got eight babies. As he might get his wish. I know. Of 10 children. <laughs> He's like, this is all for a reason. <laughs> so yeah, they're all sitting there ready to go. Um, and then the care was so amazing after that because I basically was almost at hyperstimulation. They called me twice a day, once a day. Like, they're really, really good checking in on me. I had to, like, go on a bit of a special diet and nothing serious, but just really, yeah, the care post-retrieval um, was great. And then, yeah, just had to wait about eight weeks, get another period. And that's kind of when this podcast was actually born in between mm. some of... I mean, we had the idea for a bit early on the piece, but we were like, no, let's wait until we're pregnant because it feels weird releasing it. Like, we should be in a really good place. And we had all these, like, you know, pre predecessors that we thought that we wanted to have. But, yeah, here we are because, yeah. you know. And I think in that time, too, like, we were, like, just in that eight weeks, like, it was good to take our mind off, off stuff. Mm. Like, you had your stuff going on as well. So we both just threw ourselves into this and giving ourselves a purpose was probably the best thing we could have done. Mm. And we want to share some tips and tricks in a later episode too of how we got <clears throat> through those times. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So anyway, um, so afterwards, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Um, they what they say to you, the process was from there. So you'd get your period as normal. Or yeah. were you worried that you were going to have like a longer cycle because you took all these drugs or yeah definitely i was worried about my cycle and you know i i think you spend your like i spent a year or more trying to get my hormones level 
taking every drinking every potion under the sun taking every herb trying to get everything level and then i was like you know you did you do all these injections that are totally non-natural and invasive and you're just thinking oh my god i've screwed up everything i've just done and then you're thinking oh my god now what i've got to do another um cycle and yeah what is that going to look like and i was right my cycle was a little bit longer probably like four or five days longer so i did have a mini freak out but it was okay um we also um opted to do a natural cycle because i was getting a regular a frozen embryo transfer yeah sorry sorry frozen embryo natural frozen embryo transfer um which means you don't have to take the estrogen drugs to thicken your lining you just let your body do it naturally yeah so because you ovulate regularly yeah pretty much every month so Um, that's how you could do the natural cycle. Yeah. 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 And again, guys, everyone would be completely different. Mm. This is just my particular journey. Um, so when, um, that was happening, I was to go in to get an ultrasound and they were going to let me know if I had dominant follicle in which case. And what day was this? So this was actually a Thursday. So. Of your cycle. Like oh, month? sorry. <laughs> Um, this was Thursday, the 8th of July. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it was um, day 12. Yes. Yeah, so it, leading up to that 14-day mark where you would typically ovulate. Yes, yeah. Um, I went in to get my test, uh, my, my ultrasound done, and she was she found a follicle. It was measuring 15 millimeters. She was telling me this is really great. Your body's, you know, performing great. And then she said, um, so what we need to see is we need it to be at 18 and it's now currently at 15. It usually grows about two, two millimeters a day. However, you know, everyone's different. Um, and we also need your lining to become a little bit thicker. Um, we need it to be over eight and it's currently sitting at seven. So I was like, okay, what does this mean? Um, and then she said, um, well, you can come back tomorrow. And if you, um, if, if the follicle is 18, we can proceed. Otherwise you'll have to come back in on Monday um, but if you've ovulated over the weekend, unfortunately, this will be a cancelled cycle. Mm. So I'm just sitting there like, sorry. But you sort of went into that appointment thinking like, oh, it doesn't matter what it is because the doctor originally told me that we could do the transfer on a weekend. So yeah. I thought it doesn't matter what day it falls Exactly. Because that's another reason that I did my natural cycle because when I asked my doctor oh, well, if it was to fall on a weekend with a natural cycle, because you obviously can't manipulate your natural cycle like you can a medicated cycle, what would happen? And he said, oh, that's not, don't, you don't need to worry about that. That's fine. We can, we'll sort it out. So to me, that was like, awesome. Um, you know, we'll just do it on the weekend. I thought maybe a Saturday morning they'd have mm. a transfer or they could even manipulate your cycle a little bit with, you know, a trigger shot or something. I didn't think it was going to be an issue. So I was really caught off guard. Maybe I was naive. Maybe I don't know. But... I came home for that appointment like oh my god I'm potentially about to miss a whole nother month and like four weeks and for someone who's not trying to conceive or just started trying to conceive or I don't know for some people they might be like oh my god well it's just another four weeks get over it but I think from the process of starting IVF it had been months and being like so close to the next step like that was the closest you've been Mm. to probably falling pregnant than Mm. you had been or Mm. felt like you had been so to sort of get that taken away from you like unexpectedly (laughs) it's like really hard to comprehend because you went in there thinking like okay they're gonna tell me to take my trigger shot in oh you know a day's time or and then you left that appointment like any woman does overthinking thinking oh what if what if that what if this what if that what if I miss it? What if I and like making yourself sick with yeah. 
the what ifs. I think I googled, well, I messaged you. And like sure how to bring on ovulation, like on foods to eat to bring on ovulation. Because you wanted it to come on as soon as possible so that that um, delicious little follicle would mature. Yeah. And it would, the stars mm-hmm. would align. Exactly. But, exactly. Know. So I was going a little bit cray cray, messaged my acupuncturist and was like, help me. <laughs> I need professional <laughs> help. Literally. And I had to work a full day too. So I was like so emotional working. I was like, no one talked oh, to me. Yeah. But, um. Anyway, we went back the next day. Aaron was luckily with me for this appointment and they did the the ultrasound again and she kind of like looks at me and she said, all right, so the follicle is almost 17. And I was like, oh no, she said follicle is 17 or almost 17. I can't remember the exact words. And I was like, oh my God, that means I can't do it. Started crashing down, but then she ended up saying, no, but I have spoken with your specialist and he said that we can proceed if your follicle is 17 or more. And my lining had gone almost to nine at this point. It had grown heaps overnight, so eight points on it. So I was like, yes. So she like left the room. I got my pants on and me and Aaron were like running around dancing, like <laughs> hugging each other and being weird, like as we are. So I was like, oh my God, like this is, it's happening. This is the closest like we're going to be, like we're going to get a baby put in there. Like <laughs> baby going to be in there. Baby in there. <laughs> um, so yeah. So then I was instructed to do the trigger shot that night. Which, what is the trigger shot? So. Yeah, so the trigger shot is um, oh, the technical thing. Basically, it allows your body, it's for them to know exactly when you're ovulating. Because even though I'm doing a natural cycle and they have a rough idea, it still means that when they when you take the trigger shot, it stop, like, stops it from doing it the next day. Yes. Like, so that they don't miss the window. Miss the window, yeah. Yes. So it's like, you trigger, you trigger, it makes you ovulate. 36 hours later, I'm pretty mm. sure. Oh, so it's the same shot as what you take when you do IVF. Correct. Yes. Except I couldn't do that shot, remember? Because I had yes, HCG, yeah. so I had to do this other weird trigger shot. And yeah. Again, guys, maybe when we do the IVF section, we can talk a bit more. We probably yeah. not really, again, we're just basic gals. We don't know anything about all these medications and stuff, but basic concepts we know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so basically once I did the trigger shot, 36 hours after that, I would ovulate and then five days later, they would put the frozen embryo in because it's a five-day-old embryo. But obviously, it's, yeah. It so, works out how you would normally if you were doing like an IVF cycle yeah. or even just to fall pregnant naturally. That's sort of the timings that it would be doing the implantation and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there, yeah. then, um, yeah, so that's that. And then we – so actually, I should be a bit transparent with you now. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so basically that I actually had my first frozen embryo transfer yesterday. I've got good vibes about this one. The force is strong with this one. So apparently he was a, it's he. Oh, stop it. No, no. It was. Your spirit baby might not like that. Let me tell you. (laughs) Potential. Um, You can't be gender specific. I know. Well, we've got high hopes. The scientist told us it was a grade six double a embryo which is the best of the best so it doesn't always mean they take though and you know they've said they've had you know lower grade embryos take before but it's always good when they they leave with that you know yeah. they leave with that good information and then you have the best chances that you feel possible. like you could yeah, yeah. like our, i feel like on our, paper our eggs and our sperm quality seem to be really really great and that was my biggest fear i think before we did ivf and before we knew about this whole process was maybe our egg and sperm weren't compatible mm. when I'd done some research it's a thing and I thought oh my god I can't imagine not having Aaron's child like how how scary and because I'd never fallen pregnant before I was like oh my gosh that's such a we, we just didn't know so to to know that they're all 
you know, made up overnight. You've got little eight, eight babies in there ready to go. Know, yeah. yeah. So, so even if it isn't, you know, successful, which can, can like, be the case, can be the case real, yeah. at least, you know, you can find comfort in knowing that you do have those other little bebs in there ready to mm. go. And it could just be a matter of like your body just getting used to things yeah. and yeah so yeah. very exciting watch this space watch this space exactly so we're being transparent but at the same time you know we don't want to yeah see what it ha- is it is hard because obviously like through this process you know a normal person or you know in the normal world you would wait 12 weeks oh, yeah. and tell people because you're in the safe zone but i feel like it's just so hard to do that these days yeah i'm kind of like i, I was so traditional like that like i was like i'm not telling anyone before that scan and now i'm just like you know what you if need that support network if, we, if it doesn't take if all these things i'm going to be pretty sad mm. and i'm going to be my friends and family there and people to know what, why i'm sad and let's also break that stigma yeah like, definitely like why does it need because t- the 12 weeks you're not in the safe zone yeah you know like god forbid like things do happen yeah. after that so it's like i guess it's probably more likely that things are going to happen in the you know first part of the trimester but i do think that that stigma around people feel pressure that they shouldn't tell people and that they shouldn't share it with people so they don't want to tell them before that time frame and, and it i don't know it makes it difficult but in reality like why does it matter yeah like if something bad's gonna go wrong then whatever like yeah. i think that there is a huge stigma around not you know talking about the process and how hard it is and that and you know it's terrifying like those first few weeks i can imagine like it's yeah yeah, so basically I also kind of forgot to say in my um, story, I was skipping ahead, getting excited, getting nervous, but um, that we basically have what we what is called unexplained infertility. So that is, yeah, we don't know the cause. Yeah, you don't have ha- pinpointed on something. <clears throat> um, and sometimes issues involve, can be involved with poor egg or sperm quality, problems with the fallopian tubes or uterus, um, silent endometriosis, or, you know, there's stuff that can't be um detected in normal testing um i'll also say like in within my investigations i was going to go get a laparoscopy but um i was kind of advised not to just because i didn't have any clear symptoms of endometriosis or anything like that and he said look to, to kind of go and open you up for no no real reason at this point let's just you know mm. do ivf and see if that works and keep persisting yeah yeah um and you know approximately one in five couples will go through unexplained infertility even after going through a complete fertility workup and there's an intense emotional response and to hearing there's no apparent reason for your fertility yeah i think that's almost harder because you can't really focus on like what to do to make things better because you have no mm. idea what it is or what mm. you need to do better or yeah, so it can it can play on your mind a lot, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, I um, did a little bit of research, too, just to kind of let everyone know, but about 60% of um, couples going through fertility issues um, have anxiety and depression. 41% of them have depression and 87% anxiety. And I think the anxiety stems around the constant not knowing, not knowing what's wrong, how can I fix it. What am it? I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. All those, yeah, all those issues, yeah. yeah yeah um and just a quick disclaimer guys remember that this was my journey and all the advice given to me was given to me by medical professionals so please seek your own advice um but we basically just wanted to jump on here and share our journey in hopes that it might inspire or help you guys with yours Mm. and if you have any questions like don't feel free to dm us about amy's um journey if you want to know any more specifics obviously 
you know, be respectful. <laughs> no, um, are you and, and, you know, I think we just need to try and respect Amy's privacy and, you know, with this whole process in the way that she doesn't know yet if it's successful yes. or if it's not. So don't be like messaging her being like, Hey, have you found out about your transfer yet? Like, you know, just sort of be of respectful. So and we probably will be transparent if it does or doesn't work anyway. Down yeah. Track, so. All right, guys. Well, wrap this wrap up. Just a reminder to everyone listening that we see you, we hear you, and that you are not alone in this. Yeah, and just remember guys, head over to our Instagram at infertilityandbeyond underscore. Send us a message, let us know what you thought of today's show, and all corresponding links will be in our show notes. 